Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt with Carla Kirk Cohen, who is the last of the Chain Code Lab summer residents to come through the studio. This year, we had an incredible conversation. For those of you that don't know, Carla is fascinated and working on the Lightning Network. She was part of the team at the Exchange Luno in South Africa that was the first exchange to implement Lightning Network into their services. Uh, she led that, that initiative, and we talked about it as well as her experience um, at the Chain Code Summer Residency this summer, uh, her thoughts on Lightning, what needs to be added to Lightning, and uh, her experience uh, growing grapes and making wine in South Africa. Uh, this episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App Freaks. If you are in the United States and you have been listening to this podcast for the last year and you have not downloaded the Cash App yet, what the hell are you waiting for? It's the best app in the States to, that allows you to stack sats, you can sell sats, uh, you can send sats to a personal wallet, or you can send sats from a personal wallet to the app to then do what you see fit with them. Uh, use the code stacking sats. It's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, upon download if you haven't done so already, and you're going to get $5, and $5 is going to go to Owls Across, a great charity in Chicago doing great work uh, to help young boys and girls develop leadership skills through the sport of lacrosse. So again, use the code stacking sats, download the cash app, use the code, you got to download, then use the code. Uh, you're going to get all that great Bitcoin stuff. And then on top of that, you're going to get the boost program where you get your personalized debit card, where your hot, uh, signature, you, you turn on your boost, whether it be whole foods, coffee shop, Chick-fil-A, DoorDash, pick your poison, you go, you shop at those merchants and you save money. So again, use the code stacking sats, get yourself $5, send $5 to Owls, and then start using the Cash App and start stacking sats. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Carla. I know I certainly did. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt here from the studio for recording number two of the day. Sitting down with another... Uh, well, I didn't record with the Chain Code resident earlier today. I recorded with Eric Boskul. You guys have probably heard that by now. Uh, but now sitting down with yet another uh, summer resident at Chain Code Labs, I'd like to introduce you freaks to Carla Kirkco. And Carla, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Marty. Thanks for having me. Long time reader of the bent. Good to be here. <laughs> really? Yeah, long time. You, didn't, you just surprised me with that. Yeah. I hope... Uh, Had to ho- say something for the podcast. <laughs> I hope my uh, my dumb words haven't made you dumber. Ah, never. <laughs> Well, how long have you been reading? Uh, probably about a year and a half. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. When I started kind of digging deep into crypto Twitter, when I was like, yep, let's get on this this messy bandwagon, I kind of came across you on Twitter and subscribed to the bent. And yeah, big fan. Well, thank you. I think you are officially considered a uh, Marty's Bent OG <laughs> if you've been into <laughs> it uh, for 18 months at this point. Uh, but before you subscribe to the bent, how did you find Bitcoin? Like how how did you come to to get to Chain Code Summer Residency and work on Bitcoin and Lightning? Uh, yeah, so it was a bit of a journey. I studied computer science and economics. I finished up my studies about two years ago, and pretty shockingly, I didn't hear much about Bitcoin at all in my computer science years. We have pretty different structure in South Africa. We have three year where you do a double major. And then you do something called an honors. And most people do one honors. I chose to do a year honors in CS and then a year honors in ECOS because I couldn't really decide between the two. At the end, I realized economics is a bit of a pseudoscience. So I went the computer science <laughs> route. Um, but yeah, I was in my economics year and someone asked me about Bitcoin and they showed me the white paper that they've been reading. And I was so relieved that he wasn't asking me how to install the printer on his computer because he knew I was a comp sci student. And I read it and I just finished kind of a security and penetration testing internship. And I was kind of blown away by the security model. I read it and I was like, oh, this is cool. And I was like, no, 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 that can't work. That's impossible. And I kind of went through this like denial and acceptance phase, going through the white paper, reading some things online, all that, and kind of cycled through until eventually I was like, oh, damn, this is great. I want to work on this. Got to the end of my year and I looked around for something to work on that I cared about. couldn't really find anything. I don't really care about online shopping. I don't really care about investment or risk analysis. But I did find a company called Luno, where I currently work. 
and it was a Bitcoin first exchange and wallet. So I applied, joined the crypto ops team and yeah. So what's it like uh, working at exchange? Uh, it's pretty cool. I was really fortunate that I got to join at a cool time. So when I joined, we were only supporting Bitcoin and Ethereum. And about nine months into my time at Luno, I was given the opportunity to choose my own projects. And I said, I want to integrate the Lightning Network. And someone was not paying attention upstairs because they said yes. And they let me forge ahead on it. So a large portion of my time there was running this really cool, fun, production-ready Lightning integration. So I really enjoyed it. What uh, What is it like integrating Lightning in Exchange? What functionalities were you leveraging or were you just testing stuff? Uh, so we started out with a proof of concept. We had absolutely no idea how the tech worked. We had absolutely no idea if it was safe, if we could use it. So we started out with like a proof of concept web page. So a little page which with my UX skills, two buttons, one text box, <laughs> that was it. Those are great UX skills. Yeah. The less, the better. <laughs> no CSS on the page whatsoever. Minimalist and stock. Um, yep, and we added sends and receives in production. Once we kind of had that running and enabled for internal users, we were kind of playing around with it, putting a bit more money in our nodes, figuring out how we wanted things to go. And then the company decided to add it to the wallet product um, earlier this year. So we started out adding it to our API so that kind of more advanced users could play around with it. And then to our merchant solution. So we run one of those merchant solutions where you pay with Bitcoin and immediately trade an exchange into fiat if you choose. Um, so we added to that because I think Lightning solves a lot of the issues that merchants face with Bitcoin payments. And now we're beta testing with users. So it's going to be in the app on the web page and people can use it as they, lo as they like. Hell yeah. Are you the first exchange to be experimenting with it in production? I think someone else announced recently that they were adding it. It might have been Huddle Huddle that was playing around with it. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, Pretty early, I think. Yeah, but even Huddle Huddle is what a decentralized exchange, so a P2P exchange, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so Luno is probably the first centralized exchange to be. Yeah, I think it's the first um, Yeah, first custodial exchange to be working on it. I don't know of any others. Uh, yeah, but it's kind of the nice thing about being a smaller, less mainstream exchange i'd say we focus a lot in like emerging economies so we're big in south africa we're big in malaysia we're big in all those places so because we're kind of small we still get the chance to move very quickly on new stuff so we implemented segwit very quickly we had segwit sends going out very quickly uh, and lightning is kind of the same thing you get that advantage because you're still pretty small yeah more nimble so let's back up a little bit like how did you come to focus on lightning in particular because uh, that's what you've been working on this summer and obviously at luna that's what you're passionate about and what uh what was like the course that you took to to realize that lightning was what you wanted to work on um i think the course to lightning was very much from once the initial bitcoin peak subsided i was kind of sitting you know figuring out huddling and i was like oh you know like pretty much the only use for bitcoin right now is trading and trading is a game we've all played, but it's a very stressful game. And I was kind of looking on Twitter and online and thinking, you know, how can this be used in a different way? And it's also really interesting coming from South Africa, which is a, a country with, which is pretty unstable, uh, politically unstable. It's got a really terrible currency. It's right next door to Zimbabwe. So we all kind of really understand the consequences of inflation. But we also have a really unique payment space. Like a large portion of the country is unbanked. So we're pretty good on, on mobile tech and mobile money. And when I come here and I look around, like I haven't seen a QR code since I got here. And it, yeah. They're not big over here now. Yeah. And at home, I make 40 to 50% of my payments with a QR code. You know, it's just on my phone. It's an app. I pay the QR code, coffee shop, grocery store, you know, pretty much anywhere now. And that's kind of the way of being that we're used to. So I thought that Lightning and that kind of payment system, it fits really well into the world that I know even though it doesn't really fit into a more traditionally banked country as much. Yeah, that's no, fascinating. How, uh, so is that like an M-Pesa-like system that you're using? Uh, it's not so much M-Pesa. We, um, we have card to QR. So it's kind of like, not Venmo, but like your card is connected to an account and you can just pay there and then they settle with the merchant. But like they have pretty high fees. So there's a few, there's a few competitors in the market. I think there's something called Snapscan. There's something called uh, Zapper. And both of them are kind of bank independent, but they became so popular that now the banks in South Africa are coming out with QR code scanners on their apps, which scan all those different companies' kinds of QRs, 
QR codes and integrate with all of them because it just took up took off for us. So the bank's catching up with the uh, yeah. startups. So it's like a cash app like system. Yeah. yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Um, yeah, the banks the da- the banks don't move as slowly in South Africa as they do here. Surprisingly, um, when I came here, it was the first time I'd ever seen a check. <laughs> yeah, I got this piece of paper, and they were like, "Here's your paycheck," and I was like, "Is this money? What do I do with this thing?" No, I, um, I actually I had uh, a check delivered to me today, and I had to mobile deposit it. But it was the first time I've I've deposited a check in quite a while, and it's it is a very archaic uh, form yeah. of money. Yeah, it's a crazy form of money, and you know we we would never have that at home. Like people would just go forging checks left, right, and center. It'd be like that Leonardo DiCaprio movie, like. It's just such a strange thing to see in a, a first world country that you still have these crazy old methods because you haven't really ever had the demand for it, I guess. If you don't need it, you're not going to move as fast. Whereas at home, because we have this crazy different set of needs, the banks move pretty quickly on stuff like that. What do you mean by different set of needs? So we have a much more informal economy. We have a lot of people trading on the side of the street. A lot of people don't have formal addresses. They don't have smartphones. So it's a really different set of of use cases you're looking at so we also have like a very big market for sort of mobile card machines which connect to a phone um, because people don't have traditional internet connections down to the point where there's a lot of uh, people in south africa in the informal economy who trade in airtime you can send airtime between like numbers on the same network for free airtime like the ability oh, oh yeah you have unlimited calls in the phone states minutes, yeah phone minutes, phone minutes yeah, yeah. and phone data so airtime and data and to make a payment, you just send someone on the same network as you some airtime because that like almost acts as a currency because it's easier than sort of whipping out your cash or most people don't have a card or a bank account. So that's kind of what they go with. Yeah. And that's, uh, yes, this is what, uh, I don't know if you know Beauty On, but Beauty On and Azteco, which is like a similar concept to that, but with Bitcoin, you can buy minutes uh, out of using a voucher system and something like that and top up mm. your card as you would with like minutes on a phone. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. But it seems like, yeah, it seems like this is a natural use case for, for something yeah. like Lightning where you can just make quick microtransactions to, to buy minutes or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I think there's a lot of challenges to that. Obviously, like the flip side is we have this payment space, um, which is really suited to Lightning. But we also don't really have people who are going to be always on, right? The ability to even charge your phone is is like sometimes rare for a lot of people in South Africa who live in informal housing. Um so although it is like a really interesting use case and it is a space that I think would adopt it pretty quickly, I think there's also a lot of work that needs to be done in the Lightning Network to make it more friendly to lighter clients and to more hands-off use, which is what I think is like a really interesting domain and what I want to work on. Yeah, so let's jump into it. Like what are the inefficiencies that you uh, believe exist and, and how do you think we could solve them? Uh, uh, well, one of the biggest issues... I'm pretty interested in is the operation of routing nodes in the Lightning Network. So people are kind of looking at this emerging classification where something like your phone, which wouldn't be always on, it's going to run out of battery, it's not going to have data, that would function more as a personal node. You just have like one channel open, you use it occasionally, but you're not really aiming to earn fees or be this big hub or anything like that. And you do that through setting up private channels so people can't actually route through your channel, which is really useful because your liquidity is only locked up by your own payments. And then that's kind of like the one use case, the personal use case. And on that side of things, they still do need to be able to route payments in the network. So they need knowledge of the network graph. So there's a lot of work to be done there in terms of like optimizing the network graph, reducing the amount of gossip sent over the network so you don't just like kill someone's phone with network updates as they start up. Um, and then the other thing which I'm really interested in is the running of routing nodes. So if we have all these phones that are kind of like light clients, although they do do all their own work and have their own Bitcoin nodes, you need these nodes that are super connected and they have lots of channels and they manage their liquidity and they do all this stuff. and at the moment, it's crazy incentive incompatible. Like I read this article the other day that Alan Big locks up $5 million of Bitcoin for $40 of fees a month. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to make anyone $5 million of routing fees. If I could, I wouldn't be telling other people how to do it. But I think there's a lot of work you can do in optimizing the ability to run a routing node. So smartly opening and closing channels, rebalancing, automating all of that, and really taking out of the effort side of things. 
Um, because if you can kind of like, if you're a hobbyist and you set up a routing node somewhere on an old laptop, you just want it to be able to maintain itself. You don't want to have to constantly go back and fix it up. Um, so I think a lot of work that if we reduce the amount of effort it takes, it reduces the amount of altruism we require. Because you don't really want to be in a stage where the network actually requires people just to be doing this for fun. Yeah, no, you definitely don't want to be in that stage. You don't want to depend on uh, goodwill of others. You want it to just work incentivize. Um, I'm pulling up our routing node now. Uh, shout out to TFTC stacking sats node. We're up to 1.168% of the Lightning Network. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah. what what would you recommend we do as a, as a routing node? To be as a routing node? I mean, sounds like you're doing okay already. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's that kind of active management of your channels. So if your channels are sitting unbalanced for a long period of time, that means you're missing out routing in one direction because the funds can only move one way. That's something that I think can be pretty easily automated. Uh, more um, discerning opening and closing of channels. So I think if everyone just opens channels to the Blockstream node or to yours, we're going to end up with a pretty ugly looking network. And you don't actually want to be connecting to those nodes because they're not sending payments that much, right? They will tend to have liquidity centered in one place and actually not have balanced channels themselves. Unless it's yours, which Alex Bosworth keeps pretty tightly balanced and pretty clean. He earns a ton of fees. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, sorry, I'm hearing some disturbance from the mic. I think you just got to hold it. No, uh, no, hold your hand up here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it's like this is a... Okay. Um, I'm sorry for interrupting you there. But uh, yeah, so that's like one of the crazy... It's a lot of hands-on processes right now. And that's what pre-interview we were talking about you've been working on autopilot stuff trying to make this more automated and so autopilot like i've had bad experiences with autopilot where uh just open shitty channels with people who who would close them pretty quickly after or not respond um so what uh what do where do where does autopilot need to get to where uh it's sort of off and running and, and it's actually working well yeah, so uh, there's, there's two parts of autopilot, obviously. The opening of channels, which I haven't really been working on that much, and the closing of channels. So like briefly, on the opening of channels, I think that you need to open to nodes that are reliably online because if you've got an offline peer in Lightning, it's a nightmare. They can't update your channel. You can't route anything through it. And when you close, you're going to have this big fun delay because they're probably not online to clear all the HTLCs. So I know that LND is working on like BOS scores, which are node scores which monitor uptime and monitor some of the performance of nodes other channels through basic probing in the network. And that's how they're currently informing how you open channels. And I think that'll really help for cutting out those those bad nodes from the opening process. There's also a ton of stuff that you can do in terms of connecting intelligently. So you want to look at the graph and connect in a way which puts you in the shortest route for a lot of nodes on the network. And you can run some graph level metrics on that and kind of connect in that way. And Rene Picard is working on a C Lightning plugin, which looks at that. So connecting in a way that puts you like in the thick of it in all of the traffic in the Lightning network. Uh, so that's the opening side of things. The closing side of things is what I'm looking at. I like that it's got kind of a cool economic opportunity cost trade-off vibe to it that once you have money in a channel, you have the opportunity cost of having that capital locked up, but you also have the cost of closing the fee, of closing it with on-chain fee. So when do you when do you kind of make that call? And as a human, you'll like sit with your finger on the button forever and never actually close it because, oh, maybe it'll turn it around, maybe it won't. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at some scoring similar to what Buzzcores do, but more specific, because when it's your own channel, you get a lot more information. So the basic metrics are uptime, is your peer around? the success rate you're getting in that channel, so how many payments route through and succeed versus fail, the fees you get, the volumes you move, and then the amount of personal utility you get from it. So if you're actually using that channel a lot for sends from your own node, you don't want to close the channel to your local coffee shop if they actually support Lightning, so you keep that open. And then, yeah, that's what I've been working on this summer. Uh, my next steps, it's been, you know, we're sort of establishing the fundamentals now, but next steps will be to kind of play around with those four metrics and see how we can optimize them for different kinds of nodes. Who have you been uh, working on this with primarily? I've been working on the L&D implementation. So I've been getting a lot of mentorship from Johan and Joost, who are two L&D team members. Been incredibly helpful. Had a few calls with them, some chats in the PR, all good stuff. Yeah, this is actually, Lightning is, I actually haven't had too many people working on lightning specifically on this podcast i'm very happy you're here 
Can you help us uh, sort of discern between C Lightning and LND? Uh, sure. So there's three implementations. There's async, which is a Scala-written implementation with the Eclair mobile wallet. There's LND, which is maintained by the Lightning Labs team. It's written in Golang. And then there's C Lightning, which is maintained by the C Lightning team over at Blockstream. Um, yeah, the difference in the implementations, I think LND at present is pushing features out pretty quickly, whereas C Lightning are very concerned with the spec and getting the protocol right because they're just kind of pushing out Lightning 1.1, which is the newer spec. But all three of the implementations work together. They have IRC meetings every week. Um, they only push out a change, well, they only accept a change into the protocol if two of the three implementations have implemented it and tested it and tested compatibility. So, yeah. At the, at the moment, everyone's working together and making amazing progress on the protocol spec and actual implementations. Like you said, LND is pushing out more uh, features, building faster, if you will. Is there is there advantages to using one over the other at this particular point in time? Or uh, I'm pretty biased because I'm a GoLang dev, so I kind of um, went for LND immediately. I didn't even I've. I did a C coding course in university and I was so scarred by it, but that, so I didn't even <laughs> dare look at C Lightning. Um, but I think that LND at the moment is working on a lot of the usability issues in the network, which is pretty cool. So they were the first to implement watchtowers, who are people you can outsource the monitoring in the Lightning Network to. They've got some cool stuff going on with routing in terms of um, prob probability-based routing and really like tuning the pathfinding. But I'd say the main difference is that LND is like one lightning node in a box. It's this big thing and it's got a great set of features, whereas C Lightning is plugin based. So if you're a coder, you want to play around with your own stuff, you want to maybe write some plugins, C Lightning is like definitely the way for you to go if you do want to have a high degree of customization. Whereas for LND, if you want to just run a node and it works pretty damn well, you go with that. Yeah. And getting back on the, uh, not getting back on, but you mentioned uh, channel routing like that. So we, s Matt and I, uh, my co-host, we, we spoke with the team from Noddle that's building that hardware node that mm -hmm. connects to Lightning as well. And uh, Michael on that team is experience uh, in traditional telecom and hardware. And, and he, he thinks that uh, Lightning needs needs help with channel routing in particular. They need more eyes on on how to, to make routing more efficient and and more uh, straightforward, if you will. So do you, do you, would you agree with that? Um, I definitely think we can get better. I think it's a really interesting trade-off that Lightning's made because the big issue we've got with routing is that channels have balances on either side. And if all the balance is on one side, you can't route in that direction. Um, but we don't disclose that when you're routing. Um, so you know how much is in the channel, but you don't know which side it's sitting on. And the reason for that is privacy. So if we all just broadcast the like tiny changes in our channels over time, it's pretty easy for an attacker to decorrelate payments. Um, so to trace one delta throughout the network, say, oh, look, 10 Satoshi went between me and Marty, and then Marty and James OB and James OB and whoever. And so whoever must have received 10, 10 Satoshis from me. And... While I do think we need more eyes on it, I think that's kind of a fundamental trade-off that's being made. Um, I think that a lot of the implementations kind of um, iteratively route, so they, r they make a few attempts before they try. But this is kind of why I think that the channel maintenance stuff and autopilot stuff is important because we're not going to reveal those balances anytime soon. It's going to be a huge hit to privacy and I think lose one of the big value propositions of the Lightning Network. So instead of trying to optimize routing, I mean, if someone if someone knows how, sure, but instead of trying to optimize routing, trying to optimize the underlying networks that it is more favorable for routing, I think there's a lot of quick wins there versus trying to find out a better way to route, which is really, really challenging. Yeah, so what are the, what are the quick wins? Uh, the quick wins is automating rebalancing, I think. I mean, you can rebalance at the moment just by looping a payment back to yourself through the network. It's got a bit of risk attached to it because you have to use um, uh, zero value invoices. Oh, no, actually, I don't think you do. I think you can just route payment back to yourself, but it's got a bit of cost. You pay fees. There's some suggestions on the Lightning Network about rebalancing, uh, on the, the Lightning Network mailer about rebalancing as you route. So if a node hits a channel, it needs to route through and it's not balanced, it quickly ad hoc rebalances that channel and then routes on. I think that's pretty interesting because um, that would lead to a lot of more successful payments. Uh, yeah. 
That's the, the con- so when you said loop, right? That's when you sort of atomic swap sats from one side of the channel to the other. Okay, no, so you can loop just like through the Lightning Network, okay. right? So if you have a channel that needs incoming capacity, you just loop and receive a payment along that channel. So you loop out on one channel. Loop is a, ro- is a bad word because that's also the name of an atomic swap service. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. So you, circula- you do a circular route out of one of your channels and in the other one. So the coins just shift in those two channels. So you move it out in one and in on the other. And that's like circular rebalancing. And you just do that by sending a payment to yourself and like figuring out the route manually. And then Loop is a subatomic swap service, which L&D offer. And that is, yeah, that is an atomic swap, which will rebalance your channel with an on-chain payment. Do you think there's, uh, you think one is more advantageous than the other? One strategy? Um, I think that the conditions for circular routing, you, you need a certain set of conditions to be present, right? So you do need to have more than one channel. If you don't have one, if you only have one channel out, you can't loop out because you have everything. Not loop out. You can't circle out because you only have one channel open. You need to be able to find like a nice route back to yourself. And that payment itself might fail, right? Because it's another Lightning Network payment. So I guess that's kind of the trade-off you make. Whereas Subatomic Swap, it's pretty certain it'll go through and you know you're going to rebalance. But if you do try and make a circular payment, that might fail as well because of the same issue. So it's kind of recursively going down that rabbit hole Mm -hmm. interesting are you optimistic about the current state and future of lightning do you think it will be a a successful second layer i do i do i mean by virtue of the fact that there's nothing else i think that comes near to it i don't think anyone's gonna come up with some crazy layer one scaling solution anytime soon and i think the network shows a lot of problems like it's got it's got hard engineering issues but it seems to be working. It's, you know, people can make payments. The network is kind of settling a bit. People are putting more and more funds in. And I, I think the protocol works. I think it's complicated, but I think it's functional. Um, so I got a lot of hope. Yeah, and you're, uh, you're hoping that more people are using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange soon, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it would be cool. Um, I know it's pretty controversial, payments versus store of value, but... I don't I think, think it is controversial. Why do you think it's controversial? Well, I think if you if you fully you know if you go fu- fully down the the bull run and the bullish the bullish view on Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is always going to appreciate you know the fiat price is going to move up and down but in the long run the value of your Bitcoin is only going to increase and if you really fundamentally believe that why would you be spending that on coffee because then you're going to end up like Bitcoin pizza guy who paid <laughs> however much for pizza. Yeah, I think he I think he was going up spending. 20,000 Bitcoin. I think he, he, or was it 10,000 or 20,000? I forget. He bought multiple pieces. But I don't know. It's this weird chicken and egg problem, right? You need to show that the network works as a medium of exchange to sort of entice people to come use it. And I'm a believer that Bitcoin serves all those purposes in one, like a medium of exchange and a store of value. It, it can be either or depending on your particular. Uh, situation and time preference so some people need to spend bitcoin right and making it easier and faster uh in my opinion would definitely lead to more people using it and we see that with our website with tftc.io with our dime bag people are people are giving us the dimes worth of satoshis every day um the amount of invoices created every day has been growing (laughs) uh it seems like more people are experimenting with it yeah that's pretty exciting and i think like the big thing that lightning really has to offer it's like oh why would you be spending your bitcoin if you don't have to if you maybe are holding i mean most people are holding some fiat still i think that there's a huge privacy gain there which people don't really talk about as much in that whole trade-off so i mean it's it's in the white paper that you want to remove those financial middlemen and you have all these stories about people you know making a payment on visa and then next thing they know they have an advert show up on instagram for the same product you know you do not have privacy with your current way of transacting and perhaps you will lose a bit of value of, of your Bitcoin if you do spend it now, but you do gain a lot of privacy and I think that's really important. So how's the privacy gained? Privacy is gained because you, well, first of all, no one can see what you're transacting. So all of your sends are anonymous. So the people you send to, I mean, if you sort of stick an invoice up on a website, people don't even know who's paying. Everything in the, on- in the Lightning Network is onion routed. So you can see who sent you a payment, who routed a payment to you and who it's going to, but you don't know who sent it or who's receiving it. Um, So there's a a lot of privacy gains there. And then in terms of on-chain privacy, your net balance is is settled on-chain. 
So you could have made 100 payments, you could have pay made one payment, and no one can really look at that and say, oh, you spent 0.1 of a Bitcoin. Maybe you spent it on this one, in this one specific place. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it's something I do believe is underscored as well, is the privacy gains on Lightning. And um, So do you see more people using it uh, because of privacy or because of the ability to transact in the future? Uh, I would say if they're already using Bitcoin, it would be because of lower fees. Um, but I think it's a bit naive to think that the majority of people are privacy concerned. You <laughs> um, could say that. Yeah, I'd say that Bitcoiners would use it because of privacy. Um, I think that's definitely a win. But in terms of the general use case, I think that you will get people on because they want to transact with Bitcoin. You know, although if you've got them, if you've got them that far, they might be privacy concerned already. But well, yeah, that's a a big a big part of my uh, sort of curiosity of the future of Bitcoin is: do people even fucking care? Like, will they care yeah. to transact? Yeah, <laughs> don't you feel like a bit of a doomsday? Where you're like, something bad's got to happen. Something. I mean, I feel like it's kind of happening now already. If you if you're looking at the global financial markets, but when you, you know, you want people to value their privacy and generally people don't value something till they've lost it. Um, so there's always that trade off of, oh, we want Bitcoin to succeed. But I do think there's going to have to be some crazy, some crazy incidents, some crazy leak in privacy that really spurs people towards this. Although, it, I mean, I guess happened. face, yeah, I guess it already happened. Yeah. That's why like, people don't care. Apathy. Is Bitcoin's biggest enemy right now. Yeah. But uh, uh, people don't know they need to care, right? Yeah. I guess people don't care, but like, you know, it happened with Facebook. Some people deleted Facebook. It'll happen again with something else. And, you know, a little bit too late on my side, but I did <laughs> it. Um, you know, some people deleted Facebook. And so I think every time one of these things happen, a few people do, do realize what's up, do realize that they need their privacy and... You know, kind of like from a technical standpoint, if if something happened and everyone was like, right, we need Bitcoin, we'd be like, oh, my word, we don't have enough UTXOs. We have so much work to do. So I guess a, a gradual trickle of people into the Bitcoin ecosystem isn't terrible as long as it's happening. And I think it is. Uh, I mean, if you look at market cap, it definitely is. Right. And I do agree. Like, I think uh, I don't know if Bitcoin's ready for the masses right now no. from a technical perspective. No. What do you th when do you think it would be ready or is needed for it to be ready in that? I don't know if it'll ever be ready. There's, there's a lot of people in this world. And I guess it's that question of of how you see Bitcoin ending up. Is it going to be kind of where it is now, where it's hobbyists isn't the right word because no hobbyists care about anything as much as Bitcoiners care about Bitcoin. <laughs> um, so I would zealots. I zealots. I would never insult Bitcoiners with the word hobbyists. Um, but yeah, is it going to be a small group of people? Is it going to be something like BitTorrent where a large group of people use it, but it's not everyone? Or is it going to be like crazy global currency scale? We don't know. I'm kind of for the BitTorrent level. I would, I would think Bitcoin is a success story if we get to that level of usage. And I think technically we could achieve that, especially with something like Lightning, which allows scaling on a layer two. So looking beyond Lightning, is there other, any other layer two solution that you're paying attention to or hope somebody would work on? Uh, not really, to be honest. There's kind of alternate proposals within the Lightning spec, which I think are pretty interesting. But every now and then something else comes up, which might be interesting, but then it doesn't really technically work out. Um, so, yeah, I won't say bigger blocks because that's a terrible idea. But that's like the only thing that people ever say that would vaguely scale Bitcoin. And it's just a terrible idea. Yeah, but I mean, you the trade-offs aren't worth it at that point, right? You destroy the ability to be yeah. distributed. And yeah. I mean, if you want bigger blocks, there are bigger blocks out there. Go use them. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, uh, again, harping back to the conversation I just had with Eric Voskul. He really does a good job of uh, breaking down, like, we want layering, not, not scalability. Like, Bitcoin is not scalable at the protocol layer. We just have to come to grips with that because of the way the internet works, latency works, bandwidth works. Like, it can only scale is not scalable it can only get to a certain point and before it, it loses too much of its distributed nature so like layering on top of it is the way to quote unquote scale in the way most people define it yeah exactly and i also think 
kind of relating to my opinions in the Lightning Network and needing people to be able to run nodes. You also want people to be able to run Bitcoin nodes. And at the moment, we have a lot of public out nodes, uh, public nodes out there, but they also kind of run altruistically. You can run a node which doesn't serve blocks or transactions, but a lot of people do. And, you know, I think if we do kind of start to see some regulatory crackdown, we will see that number decrease because, you know, Bitcoin nodes for broadcasting transactions and blocks, they don't even earn a tiny amount of fees. It's nothing. It's just you want your node because you believe in Bitcoin. So I think making sure that it is as easy as possible to run that node is incredibly important. And big blocks factor into that. Yeah. No, and I'm actually very optimistic about the like recent developments of of becoming more efficient and and things like uh Erlay and um l2 and stuff like that making it more efficient to run a node is is huge like i spoke with gleb had the pleasure of sitting down with gleb Aww. last week and i'm very happy that people like him are working on these problems yeah yeah it's good stuff happening it's been such an exciting summer like we get to hang out with gleb at lunch every day and Taj has been in town. He's working on UTXO. Obviously, that fits in really well with what James O'Byrne's doing with Assume UTXO. So it's all happening, you know, slowly but surely. Bitcoin Core is, I think, going to see some crazy good improvements in the next year or two. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you think we're getting to a point? I mean, that's the other thing. Like, I think Bitcoin can be successful into perpetuity in its current form, but I'm also a believer It'll be there's a couple of nice to haves out there that would get mm-hmm. it to a point where it's ironclad almost. Do you do you s- agree with that in any way or? Oh, I mean, I don't think anything's ironclad, right? <laughs> That's the whole security thing. You don't know yeah. what your security flaws are until you're hacked. Um, in terms of, I guess, like it's a more general question of Bitcoin Core stagnation because I know that is kind of a view that's out there that some people would like to see the code stop changing. And just kind of be like, right, this is Bitcoin, we're done. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I I would be surprised if we ever get there, just from like a software engineering perspective. Nothing's ever done, right? Nothing's ever done, done. And I think there's like great improvements coming up, like Taproot Schnorr, obviously everyone's super excited about. And even if we're not changing consensus code or soft forking, like just the kind of optimizations we can do on the peer-to-peer layer, making sure we're DOS resistant, like just always improving privacy and security. Like there's endless work to be done, really. Yeah, and I think uh, the recent Erebus attack that was uh, made apparent to everybody is a great example of that. Something yeah, that was just discovered, what, three weeks ago? Or yeah, I mean, even even more recently than that, I think. But yeah. Yeah, and it's... Uh, that's all. It's crazy. Uh, speaking of Gleb, he's also working on fixing that as well. How smart is that, dude? Oh, Gleb's the best. <laughs> I love it. Gleb is like one of the smartest guys at chain code. But he's also like, I have like Gleb roulette where Gleb bingo when I see Gleb sleeping in different places in the offices. <laughs> he's like a serial napper. He's like a sleep on every single couch. I love it because he gets so much done. So he works hard, then he naps hard as well. That's the way to do it. Yeah, that's de- the way to live. He's got it. He deserves some naps. Yeah. yeah. What it w- and so let's talk about like the environment of being part of like this residency and, and sort of the vibe of, of building and learning with, with this group that you've been together with for what now? Three months Three now. months, yeah, yeah. 12 weeks. How's yeah, it's it? crazy. Like the the disbelief that this is where I, where I am actually only like faded about a week ago and now we all have to go home in a week. Like <laughs> You've met some of the resis. They're just like the crazy smartest people and they all have such different backgrounds. And then on top of that, you get to hang out with all the chain coders and just work on whatever you think is important. And I don't think that a lot of people ever get that opportunity to be sponsored in New York and hang out and work on Bitcoin like or Lightning if you choose. It's just been a game changer for me. It's been an incredible experience. It's a great way to learn too, right? Just bouncing ideas of very smart people. Yeah, yeah. Like some of the the most learnings I've got about Bitcoin are like around the lunch table, just listening to the core contributors discussing things that they've been working on. You just pick up so much information just by being there. Is there any uh, sort of misconceptions that you had that are, are now sort of cleared up in your mind after about the core process and how it works or any um, particular part of core? I don't I don't think about the process because I you know I was just like oh it just kind of magically works I never really thought about it that much um but definitely interesting to like 
to get down into the daily operations of how these how these contributors work. So I hadn't really engaged in any of the IRC conversations before that. I feel like in Bitcoin, there's always more information and you just need to know where it is. So like John Newbury runs a core PR review club. Yes. Check it out. <laughs> Shill. Every Shill, Wednesday. Shill, shout out. Every yep. Wednesday. Every Wednesday at five o'clock UTC. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I didn't know that existed. And you just get to listen to people discuss the recent PRs on core. And you get to read people discussing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. And like just all these resources that I didn't know were there, like the weekly core meeting, core devs meeting. So definitely getting to know that the day of a core dev has been super interesting. Do you, do you find that Bitcoin development's more approachable after seeing how it works uh, sort of firsthand and, and as intensely as you have this summer? Uh, yeah, definitely more approachable. I mean, I think everyone was always pretty approachable. I've never really reached out and had a genuine question and had anyone, um, you know, give me bat in this community at all. People are so so nice and so kind and so patient that they really just like have always been willing to help but it's definitely been great to kind of meet a lot of the chain coders and the contributors and put names to the put faces to the famous names because coming from South Africa you see all these people on Twitter and you're like oh my word they're famous they're like these superstars and you know at least in the states you get to meet them every now and again so coming here was like really like humanizing and amazing for me to meet all these people yeah, we are very spoiled here in New York City. I'm mm. very lucky, very yeah. lucky. Happy to be here. What is the the Bitcoin scene like in South Africa? Oh, is it big down there or no? no? It's really interesting. Um, South Africa's actually got like the highest Bitcoin, p- well, cryptocurrency ugh, penetra- penetration in the world. Is it like, all Monero? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Would we know if it was all <laughs> Monero? Maybe not. Yeah, no, probably. But not. Uh, yeah, like there's some like database, uh, survey based study out there. South Africa's got. Of all the internet users in South Africa, 10% of them hold crypto. And that's like the highest in the world. The world average is like 5.5%. Um, but I will say that I don't think the dev community is very big there. So Luna runs some meetups every now and again. And you won't be so lucky as you are here to go to an event like BitDevs where it's just Bitcoin developers. Like there will always be blockchainers or <laughs> F heads or something like that at the Bitcoin meetup because it's just a small place, right? There are more people in New York than there are in the country of South Africa. So there's just not enough people to have that kind of community. Why do you think there's such high penetration of Bitcoin ownership or crypto ownership? I don't know. I mean, it can't just be that South Africans are like crazy. South Africans are crazy traders. That's kind of the one, the one thing you can think about. But I was looking at that graph recently, and if you look at the top, it's like South Africa, Thailand, Brazil, Colombia. So all countries that aren't kind of traditionally first world, they're all emerging markets. And like the the bull in me is like, it's because Bitcoin's working, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be, you know, I like this is a this is a survey based a, a survey based data. So it's like just people ticking things on a form. But I'm like, it feels like it's working. It feels like it's happening a little bit. Um, That's definitely happening. Yeah. So, like, when moon? I don't know. <laughs> when moon? We're we're just on a sh- we're just on a constant slow trickle towards the moon. Yeah. At some point, maybe you never want to get to the moon. You just yeah. want to always be yeah. striving for it. Yeah. Um, did you ever mess around like any other cryptocurrencies? Uh, no, not really. I mean, when I started Luna, I didn't know enough about Bitcoin, so I thought Ethereum was pretty interesting. I was like, oh, you know, I can like do smart contracts that's cool but i think the kind of cutoff point for me was actually an article great article by jimmy song about like needing an oracle for smart contracts and the fact that a a ethereum smart contract is always going to have to trust some human element for a source of truth and then like getting more into the monetary side of bitcoin so yeah i really only looked at those two and made my way to bitcoin pretty quickly are you uh are you hopeful for ethereum (laughs) (laughs) 2.0 Sure. <laughs> I wish them well, honestly. Good luck. This is uh that's actually something I was talking about with Elokai off the record after our last uh when we recorded oh, last not week. Not that off the record now. <laughs> no, I mean we 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 said we should have talked about it on it, yeah. but uh Ethereum two point he he made me aware of uh what's it called? The second sy- system syndrome. Uh basically uh referring to IBM in the eighties. They would try to make uh they try to remake their their system from scratch one of their systems and it turned out 
just like never come into fruition because they were always specking it out and, and new things were getting added and they eventually just stopped working on it because it never launched and it was taking way too long and um, sounds about right yeah and that's uh i mean i don't want to pick on ethereum here but that's uh, i do not think e2.0 will ever launch yeah no me neither and that's just my thought just in interjecting here at my uh with my bias um yeah it's uh it's crazy because there's so many so many different ways to approach uh this problem at least it seems now or that people are trying to approach it in different ways your mic's there you go perfect um but it, and that's so that's one thing i w wonder about a lot too like how many more altcoin cycles and ICO bubbles are there going to be like at what point is Bitcoin's liquidity and network effect just sort of trump any uh, inclination to even launch a competitor yeah I don't know I think about it as well I think about like you know when when Bitcoin's gone to moon and we're kind of writing the history books hopefully the history ebooks about it like think about the first phase which is like okay like the multi-coiner phase and then the ICO phase and now I don't know if it's just like my complete bias, but it feels like we're in like the maximalist phase. It does feel like everybody's a Bitcoin maximalist. Yeah. Well, not a maximalist, but like it feels like the kind of rush for new coins and new ICOs it feels like it's kind of dead. It's done. And I, d I don't really see where we'd go from here. Are we going to go back to that? I kind of doubt it. I think the public has learned. People have learned about these, you know, maybe not so savory ICOs and they've learned the hard way. Um, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, the market can remain irrational far <laughs> longer than we we can remain solid. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, is Luno? Is it just maybe like Luno? Is that the moon? Is that why it's Luno? Yeah. So I think it's quite sweet. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the language Esperanto. I have. Yeah, it's a dead language, right? Or yeah, yeah. But it was it was intended to be a language written for everyone. So mm -hmm. it was one like global language, and it's the word for moon in Esperanto. Huh. Uh, yeah. Interesting. No, it's a, uh, that's good. Like I, uh, like that's a, a big contention in the Bitcoin community is, is companies like Coinbase and blockchain that, that use something, uh, that's, uh, sort of tied to Bitcoin. Oh yeah. Like that's app and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's tricky. It's even like lightning, even like lightning app. Like it's, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's all, it's all pretty, pretty, pretty tricky. Um, Having some audio <laughs> malfunctions on Tales from the Crypt. Uh, What's yeah. new? <laughs> What's new, yeah. Um, yeah, I think in that regard, it's hard, right? Like, there's two <laughs> there's two issues in software engineering, and, like, one of the biggest one is naming things. So I tend to not be so hard on people. Like, if you read even, like, the Sats app, they went through a whole bunch of iterations of names. Um, but, yeah, I understand the concern. Like, I think the same concern sits with the Bitcoin Twitter handle, which is on a interesting journey now and uh, i'm kind of with the people who wish it didn't exist at all yeah they, like need, to one sh they need to shut down the bitcoin twitter handle yeah who's ever running it yeah and also by the way this episode is brought to you by the sats app so <laughs> check it out <laughs> shout out <laughs> shout yeah. out casa um now it's uh it is uh it's fascinating because it's such a raw landscape right now right it's, it's mm -hmm. it is a true uh sort of dash for for digital uh, and and mental uh, real estate, right? And and trying to position, and, and there's so many opportunities and so many ways in which uh, you can try to to build and profit off this stuff. That it's presents a lot of opportunity, and it's interesting to see how people um, go about it, or at least they have gone about it over the last decade. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's something I really dig about Lightning is that it sort of opens up new models of business which weren't previously possible like subsend payments are incredible like the ability to pay absolutely tiny amounts like that was really like my big light my night lightning network light bulb moment where i was like i couldn't have done this any other way i couldn't have made this payment to satoshi's place by card by cash by anything because like my country doesn't even print the 10 cent piece anymore because it's not worth the metal it's printed on um, so let's jump into this. Like, what use cases do you see being enabled beyond like Satoshi's place? Shout out Satoshi's place. Yeah, so, um, I think that micropayments is a huge one. I think that it really addresses like 
really interesting use cases like people have been looking at lightning based streaming services where you pay per use instead of paying a monthly subscription I think that people have great um, ideas about content delivery in general. So there's all sorts of ideas out there about like embedding content in Lightning Invoice pre-images. So once you pay an invoice, the content is automatically released to you by the protocol and you have that text or you have that thing. I think that's pretty cool. And then from kind of a more business stand standpoint, I think that refunds is a big pain point that it addresses. So... Uh, there's something called a HODL invoice, which is a releasable invoice uh, implemented in L&D at the moment. So you can make a payment to someone, say you want to buy some shoes, you get the shoes and you decide to return them. They can actually just cancel that invoice. So release your payment back to you. You don't pay for it. You don't pay fees for the payment. And then you, you know, you've sent the shoes back. So that's pretty cool as well. How does that work? Is there like a time lock function that's thrown yeah, into so that? Yeah, so it's a it's an invoice with a really long time lock. Um, you'd have to have like a two week limit on releasing that invoice. Um, but within that limit, like I think that's a pretty reasonable refund period. Um, so I think that solves like especially having looked worked a bit on our merchant solution, where people were constantly kind of struggling with refunds because you have to get the the user to provide you with an address you have to pay on-chain fees there's all sorts of things like that so i think that's a big pain point in bitcoin payments and in payments in general that is addressed and then then do you give them back the the equal amount of bitcoin or yeah th- you do you just release it back yeah yeah no i'm talking about like the the, the oh, merchant yeah. problems you're doing like uh, the questions that merchants have like do i give them back an equal amount of bitcoin or the usd or yeah yeah uh, at what price the or, you know sub the fee time. or don't sub the fee yeah yeah it's a tricky one uh, fun problems to try to solve though yeah so much fun it's like one of the fastest moving spaces and one of the most interesting sets of problems i've ever gotten to work on like People ask, why do you want to work on Bitcoin and Lightning? You know, people who aren't really Bitcoiners are like, oh, you know, it's crazy, scary internet money. And then, you know, you say to other engineers, you know, it's peer-to-peer, it's distributed. It's it's like every trade-off that you can possibly find in an engineering textbook. It's every, like, difficult problem that you want to solve. You get it all. You know, you get to work on everything. And that's that's so great that you can just find your space where you want to work and dig in. Do you uh, Do you see more devs coming to this? I hope so. I think that people like Chaincode are doing an amazing job getting people in, but I do think so. I think that, you know, it's got a lot of sort of hook-ins for people. If you're interested in cryptography, if you're interested in distributed systems, you know, some take someone like Gleb, he was kind of looking at networks in general and then found his way to Bitcoin. So I think there's just so much that is interesting about Bitcoin that it will draw in a lot of devs. Yeah. No, it's, cr- I mean, just... Uh I feel very fortunate having this this podcast, this platform, and be, having been able to m- meet a lot of these devs and some of the smartest people. I mean, not even some of like the smartest people I've ever met in my life are are working on this product, uh, on this project, on this problem, on this mission, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and it's fat. It's like for somebody who's not technical at all, it's fascinating seeing how uh, excited engineers get in particular about this because i'm excited because i think it brings sound money and that's what draws me in but like to see all the engineers get uh like jacked up about the big problems that they can solve is uh exciting so do you you feel very fortunate to be able to work on these big problems yeah what a what a blessing what a what a space to be in like as you say like when the people of the caliber and intelligence of the core devs are spending their time working on this, like that's such a testament to the project and to Bitcoin itself. And it's just amazing to be able to work on it and to be able to be introduced to it with very few blockers, actually, which I think is really great. Like people want more contributors. They want people to participate. And that's been a big part of the ride. Like a project which is like so happy to help out and happy to have new people involved. Like, it's just amazing. What would you recommend to somebody who's looking to get involved, but maybe a little apprehensive, a little nervous? Uh, I won't say don't be because everyone's nervous and I hate it when people tell me not to be nervous about things because you're already nervous. It doesn't help at all. Um, but I'd say do, do a GitHub troll. That's probably the best place to start. There's a lot of small things that people don't have time to get to. So a lot of the projects have, I mean, Bitcoin Core is really well tagged and Git. So you go and look at things like, good first issue labels on GitHub, 
or you know beginner labels on, on github because if you are starting out like people will merge really small prs if it's a first-time contributor and it is like a small fix like you know if you've been contributing for years don't really go and like fix typos in the code no one's going to take the time to merge that but when you're new people will really respond to you so just find one small thing and do it that's what i did i fixed like an rpc field in lnd because i needed it for a project and once you've done that you kind of like you've ripped the band-aid off and you've done it um the slack and irc channels a great place to reach out to people um yeah what what was the rpc call that you fixed Oh, I needed like a field. I needed a field in a send payment thing for Lightning. And when the payments were failing, they weren't actually returning the p the payment hash. So you knew something failed, but you didn't know what. Um, and we were like, oh, well, this is a bit of a problem if you're running a huge exchange with tons of sends. We're going to need to know whose payment has failed. So we just put that PR in. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome, Marty. <laughs> um, what do you do outside of Bitcoin? Uh, outside of Bitcoin, uh, I'm actually a big sports fan. <laughs> We've got a sport in South Africa called rugby, <laughs> which is like really violent football. Um, know, I know what rugby is. Okay. I don't know, I, people don't know. Rugby's um, pretty big over here. Yeah. My high school team had a rugby team. Okay. My high cool. school had a rugby team. Yeah. So I, I participate pretty aggressively in a in a rugby fantasy league with my boyfriend and some friends. Um, proud to say I've smashed them twice out of five years. So. Plus. Yeah, running pretty well. And then outside of that, I live in a really beautiful city. Cape Town is chock-a-block with mountains and beaches. So I try to spend as much time outside as I can. And then my favorite one is that I actually make wine. Boss. Yeah. Big wine out here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you couldn't tell by the uh, yeah, yeah, the by the, the, <laughs> by by the, the stash, door. yeah. So I've been doing it with my family since I was like 10. Haven't been drinking it since I was 10, but been making it and it's... It's a really nice like back to nature thing to do. We get the grapes in in big crates and they arrive and we hand destalk them and we hand crush them and we go through the whole process. And at the end of the year, we've got beautiful bottles of wine. So that's that's been awesome for me. What varietals do you work with? Uh, so we make Cab and Chard. Uh, Cab's my favorite. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's fascinating. My wife would love this if uh, she was here right now. We're big hey. wine snobs, if you will. Um, but that's, that's seems like something very therapeutic. Like you said, getting back in touch with nature. We were actually just in Sonoma before we did the, uh, Bitcoin 2019 conference. And it's crazy just seeing how, uh, involved and how entrenched winemakers are with, with what they're doing and, and how passionate they are about it. Yeah, it's great. It's like, it's like, uh, I remember someone described to me once, it's like having a kid and a science project at the same time because you care so much <laughs> about it, but it's very, very finicky. And like, we, I mean, when we started out, I mean, I was really young, but we were like doing it in someone's garage and there were like rats around and like the first... The first vintage tasted like petrol. Like my dad was the only person who drank <laughs> it. Everyone else like, this is disgusting. And he was like, no, this is great. And like forced his way through it. Um, so yeah, lots of really small things that can go very wrong. But yeah, it's been a great thing to be a part of. I'm going to have to uh, order a couple cases. Yeah, you're going to have to come visit in Cape Town to get That's true. Yeah. Uh, are you afraid of the Great Whites in Cape Town? or? I'm not, um, but like not for good reason. Like we have a big shark cage diving industry. Um, so it's Pesco Chantz Bay in Cape Town or off the coast in Cape Town. And people used to go shark cage diving there a lot. And now that industry is kind of shutting down because the sharks aren't there anymore. Oh, really? Which kind of concerns me. They moved I'm like, up here. Yeah. But they, yeah, they're kind of headed to warmer waters because the temperatures are changing a bit. So the sharks are kind of gone, which... Is I'm good with. I like swimming, so I'm good with it. But it kind of sucks for the shark cage divers. Yeah, we've actually had a lot of great white sightings here on the northeast coast <laughs> in, in the U.S., like up in Nantucket and mm -hmm. Cape Cod. There's a lot of great whites. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I surf, so I'm. Uh, yeah. Cape Town has always been yeah. on my list uh, of, of places yeah. to get. Yeah. yeah. It's um. It's uh. It's very windy down there too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy windy. Like, I remember one Christmas, um, there's this old established bar called Rafiki's in the corner of one of the big streets. And over Christmas, the rooftop blew off. <laughs> yeah. Really? Bit of a dive bar. So, like, of course, it happened to them. But it, it gets very windy. Yeah. that's. Uh, I do need to make a trip to South Africa. I need to make, I, I'm just talking about this with Eric Vosco, too. Like, I don't travel enough. I think I've only been to, like, five other countries in my life. 
Yeah. House Africa is a good one to go to. It's beautiful. It's far. F- it's a far flight. Um, That's what I was gonna say. How long's the flight? Like sixteen hours. Oh, it's long. I mean, I I took the scenic route here. I flew through Dubai, so it's thirty-two hour journey for Jesus. me. Jesus. Um, but they now have direct flights from New York to Cape Town. I think it's sixteen, seventeen. I can't believe you're going back to Cape Town then, Israel, and back to Cape Town. Yeah, <laughs> me, me neither. Trust <laughs> you're me. You're gonna be able to survive that conference. <laughs> yeah. With that jet lag. Yeah. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on? We're like an hour in now. There's a, there's a lot we can go down here. Like what, uh, what are you interested that we haven't touched on yet? Bitcoin related. Uh, Bitcoin related. Um, it's okay. You don't have to answer. (laughs) Yeah. We covered um, it all. We covered covered it all. all. We We solved all the the problems. problems. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, um, I guess like what? What would you say to anybody who may be thinking about doing a chain code residency next summer? Oh, do summer? it. Oh my word. Don't be, don't be scared as well. Like I was so scared. I put the application in and I was like, oh, I'm never going to get this. And then we did the coding challenge and I submitted my, my coding challenge and Jonas got back to me and he was like, Carly, your solution doesn't like print out the answer. You sent us a bunch of like debugging logs as your solution. And I was like, oh my God, I've messed this up so badly. And then I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I kind of fixed it up a bit and sent it back. And when we got there, we were kind of chatting about the interview process. And almost every single person who got in kind of had one of those blunders or made that mistakes. And absolutely nobody thought they were going to get it. Um, and here we all are. So here you are all. Here you all are doing incredible things for Bitcoin. And it's crazy how fortunate we are to have companies like Chaincode, right? And now Square Crypto, Blockstream, and others before them. And do you see this sort of model that Chaincode has shown to the world expanding more and more? Uh, I hope so. I hope more people will put funding towards projects like what Chaincode's doing. Um, but I just think it's a big kind of part of what they're trying to do with this residency. It's the first run of the longer form residency. And what they've done, which I think is so great, is that they've put all of the content that we covered up on the Chaincode Labs GitHub. So there's now a full Bitcoin syllabus, a full Lightning syllabus with links. And then everything, every seminar that we attended is going up online. So even if companies don't manage to fund that kind of project, they're putting out those resources so that more people can use it. And I think that's just great. Contributing to the feedback loop. The more people that know how to develop on it, the more people that can develop on it, the stronger that Bitcoin can be. So shout out to the chain codes of the world. Yeah, shout out. Carla, is that all we got? Yeah, that's all we got. We don't we don't have any whiskey, so I think that's all we got. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to drive tonight. I was telling uh. you, we would we would have been crushing whiskey if I didn't have to drive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry sorry uh, for the New York City subway system. I know that's yeah. uh, sorry for the L. <laughs> yeah, the L's pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's only getting worse too near by here. Yeah. It's not a good sign. It's like sometimes in New York, I'm like, ah, god damn it. I got to get out of the city. It's falling apart. Yeah. Oh, at least it's, at least it's public transport, right? Yeah, that's true. The alternative is pretty, pretty rough as well. We don't really have much at all by way of public transport. So it's a bit of a mess. We just got like people driving their cars and then these like crazy unsafe minibus taxis, which are like, you know, combi. I don't know if combi is a word that American people know. It's combi? like a van. A combi is like a car that can sort of like three rows in the back. Um, but yeah, they've got these like old combis that like ramp the sidewalk and just drive mentally, and that's how a lot of the country gets around. So it's pretty much as pretty much as bad as the L. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I'm sure you meet some some cool personalities on the combis. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it's yeah transportation. I wonder if that you think that forces people not to move as much as they would have move around to travel. Um, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say that like tourism in South Africa, so people don't really go to like far out places and you don't really move, like, especially when you're growing up there, like my mom made me break up with a boyfriend cause he lived too far away and she was tired of driving me there. My gosh. Um, no, not really. Shame. Uh, was he was, devastated? Uh, I wasn't meant to be. It was too far. I was <laughs> also over it, but <laughs> yeah. So like you just have like much less freedom as a young person like you can only go anywhere if your parents drive you somewhere 
Um, I think Uber's changed that a lot because Uber is very affordable in South Africa. Like the minimum trip is one dollar. Um, oh, damn. And everything's pretty close. Like nothing in Cape Town's more than thirty-five minutes away. So that I think has changed a lot. But just like having access to that kind of transport when you're young, I think it really changes things for you. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it changes the emergence of Uber changes economies in place of bad transportation. Apparently, they're losing like three dollars in every Uber eat. So still, still, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Carla, thank you for coming through. Cool. Thanks thank for having me. Thank you for working on Lightning and doing what you're doing and uh, helping educate us here on Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. All right. Enjoy the rest of your night. Peace and love, freaks. <laughs>